Hi guys and welcome back. My name is Kylie Nicole and I'm a medium in person WA. And if you are just joining me now, I am talking about the journey that I've been on where I am turning my mediumship into a business and also the program that I've developed to help other heart-centered and holistic-based women do the same for themselves. Um, welcome and happy to have you here. So the last couple of podcasts, we've been talking about the mindset and the identity and the journey. So I would love for you to go back and listen to those to to kind of understand where we're at and where we're aiming for in this in this sequence. But this week, I wanted to talk about money. Money is such a huge thing. And as women as well, there are so many damaging perspectives that come into the space. So I know when I when I was younger, when I was at high school, and I touched on this last week as well, we had to do etiquette courses before we could uh, progress <laughs> through our higher forms at high school. And part of that was the training that women do not talk about money. Money is improper. It is vulgar. And we are not to talk about it. And I've never had strong money role models in my life. Like when I think about the the women in my life and the roles that they've played, being strong around money is definitely not one of them. So my mom was a teacher, an amazing teacher, and she was always like head of her department or, you know, she always had a lot of responsibility attached to her teaching. She didn't earn an amazing salary, but she did earn a good salary. Um, but it took her a while to get to that point. That didn't happen, certainly not in our younger years. So my parents got divorced when I was nine, I think. And money was pretty scarce for a long time. And I remember thinking like all of my all of my stories about money, all of the stuff that I remember, especially through my parents' divorce, was that money was a weapon. Money wasn't good. Money would hurt you. Money could be used against you in some way. And mum used to, obviously in the throes of her divorce pain <laughs> she would play the song money can't buy me love because she would try and accuse dad of trying to win us over trying yeah trying to win us over financially when he was just trying to um kind of hit his obligations as a as an absent father and yeah do you know what it was messy and I just look back and I'm like oof that, that's got some heavy hitting stuff in it we didn't get pocket money per se. Like every now and again, we'd get some money, but it, I think it just depended what the family were doing at large. Like a lot of our pocket money came from my grandparents who ran a service station. My pops was a mechanic and he wouldn't give us money actually, which is unusual. My gran would. So I remember her giving us money and it's not like we had to work for it or anything, but it didn't happen often. And... She always said to me, so she was a, a good Scots woman, and she always said to me, mind the pennies, the pounds will look after themselves. So she was always about saving and about putting money away and about being smart with money. And I suppose that that is a good role model, but I don't remember her being strong about money or talking about it often. Like she would never, maybe because I was younger, I lost my grand when I was um, 18. So maybe when, if, if I'd had the time with her older, maybe she would have spoken about it to me more. I don't know, but I don't remember having conversations really with her about it. And then my mom definitely, scarcity was a thing and she struggled a lot. And I remember her painting like our wrapping paper. So she would, she would paint wrapping paper. So she would have wrapping paper to wrap our presents up. Now, just bearing in mind, like this was third world living. This was not first world living. I lived in Zimbabwe and it was a shitty political climate and money. Inflation was through the roof. It was like in the thousands and it was just crazy. 
so it's not just a reflection of um, it's not just a reflection of finances. It's also you know maybe wrapping paper wasn't available that year. I don't know. <laughs> so, but I remember being so touched because my mum had gone out of her way and she'd painted this paper and wrapped up our presents with it, and it was just it was beautiful. It was a Christmas. And the effort that she got into was amazing. Our Christmas presents as well, they weren't things like new phones or radios or whatever. Our Christmas presents were like shampoo and like a nice shampoo, obviously, and soaps and um, drinking chocolate powder. I know. I know how that sounds. But again, third world living, guys. <laughs> so, and it was incredible. Like we were always excited and always grateful. Um, my grand used to make a lot of our clothes. And, you know, again, Christmas and stuff, maybe we'd get a bought T-shirt or something. So... We don't, that that particular period of my life was definitely underlined by scarcity and about things being hard financially and about having to be careful with what was spent and how it was spent. And there was very much the whole, I remember being so aware, so hyper aware of when we went grocery shopping with mom, not to ask for anything. Not because she would make us feel bad about it, but just because I knew that there wasn't anything extra. I was very aware of the fact that there wasn't anything extra. And I was okay with that. I also remember trying to put my pocket money in my mom's purse. So I would wait until she'd left her purse or a handbag lying around and I'd put my pocket money in there because I knew that she needed it and I knew that I didn't. And I also know that mom would have been aware of that. And I don't remember her. I would have been heartbroken if she'd given it back to me because all I wanted to do was help and make a difference. Um, and I'm pretty sure that she would have kept it to the side and then given it back to me at a different a different stage. But I know that, you know, maybe she would use it and then she'd pay me back later or something. But she never made me feel, she never called me out on it. But it's almost like we had this unspoken agreement that she knew and that she was loving me for doing that. Like she was so grateful for the fact that I was aware of where she was at um, in a non-judgmental type of way. But it is hard to watch people you love not have money. It's hard for for you to watch them struggle and to make ends meet and to constantly be counting the last dollar and the last, you know, it's like it's heavy energy stuff. But then having left Zimbabwe and gone into, I moved to the UK, so first world living. Do you know, I left, I left my home country with 120 pounds, which is all I had. It's probably the equivalent of, I mean, now it's, I don't know what it would have been back then. Now it's the equivalent of... Uh, maybe two hundred dollars, give or take. So that's my that was my grand's last one hundred and twenty pounds, and she she'd been keeping that money in its original currency. She'd been keeping it as pounds, so she could exchange it on the black market, um, so they could buy what they needed to buy. And at that point, I'm pretty sure they didn't have the garage anymore either, so it was just them. And my pops had the beginning stages of dementia, which she was kind of hiding from us. And I remember I went to go and say goodbye to her and it was really, really hard. But it was her support that had got me the visa because I got my ancestry visa through her with her being Scottish. But if she hadn't been on my side and supporting me, there's no way that I would have got permission from my mum to leave. And anyway, I remember I went to her the night before I left and my grand and I were really close and I gave her a cuddle and I didn't know if I was going to see her again. I didn't know how that was going to be. And she pressed this 120 pounds into my hand and she gave me a kiss and she said to me, until next time. And um, what a gift, though, not just the money. She also gave me an address book with literally everybody she could think about that was still in the UK. She'd written their name in this little address book and she sent me off with her last 120 pounds in this address book. 
into the world and it was beautiful and I love her and I miss her and I didn't get to see her all that much. I think I saw her two more times and then she passed away. So her legacy is that 120 pounds and it was that 120 pounds that I started my independent journey on at the age of 17. And, you know, I went into, I got into shipping. I thought I was going to go to university. That didn't happen. And I got into shipping instead, (laughs) very different direction. But how wage negotiations would go for me, it was like, oh, hey, okay, we're going to pay you this. And I'd be like, cool, thanks. There was no like, how about this? Or there was no negotiation. I had no concept of being able to negotiate for a better salary or to represent myself or even have the confidence to ask for more than they told me they were going to give me. And I had the mindset of being grateful for whatever I was given. And I spent all of those years working two jobs that I could send money back home to support my family and pay medical costs and eventually funeral costs and things like that. And it was hard. Like I was always working more than one job. I was doing, I was doing stuff all the time. Like it was tough. I was always kind of watching the pounds. I was always really stressed about, not really stressed about money because I'm not very money focused, but I was really aware of the fact that there wasn't an awful lot of it. So that was the kind of mindset that I went into my adult life with. And it's not the right one. You know, I don't have, well, I've got a son now. I don't have a daughter, but I will teach my kids a different way. I'm not going to, money is is a thing. (laughs) It's definitely a thing. And how we're raised with it and how we are around growing up around money does definitely pattern out in our later life, but also in every other area of our life. It's an incredibly powerful concept it's all to do with self-worth as well. It's not even just like a dollar value. I will go into that a little bit more, but you know, I don't want to deep dive and then get lost. <laughs> so the the money element in terms of being paid wages and everything else, you're grateful for what you get. You work every hour God sends. You earn your money. You have to work hard for your money. You suffer for your money, all of that stuff. That's all the mindset that I kind of took into my corporate career. And I was always paid less. I was always doing more and being paid significantly less than male counterparts, which was an absolute ball breaker for me. And I don't mean that in like a, um, I'm amazing and I was doing all that. But I know that I was putting in the longer hours. I was achieving more. I was saving the company. I was was representing uh, more money. I was, but I was always paid less because I was younger. I've always been the youngest person in the team. And um, they would put that down to having less experience, but then they'd give me the more advanced positions, which didn't make sense. Anywho, not my problem anymore. But it was a thing. And I remember even when I was a national manager, I was, pay, I was being paid about 30 grand less than my male counterparts. And that that galled me. So I was actually in that same in that same stage of my life. I was flying all over Australia to train my teams up in the different branches. And I think I was flying to Brisbane. And I was I bought a book in the airport called um, Get Rich Lucky Bitch. And it was by Denise Duffield Thomas, who is an incredible money mindset Uh, mentor. And she's somebody who I appreciate because she looks at money with like a spiritual energetic version as well. And that so resonates with me because money is an energetic exchange. It's not just a currency. It's not just a hard value. And there's flow to money. And it was the first time I'd read anything from a businesswoman um, that was based around energy and intention and like the magical aspect of manifesting and all of this other stuff. But it wasn't bullshit. It wasn't like woo-woo crap. It had relevance. It had resonance. It was strong. And I loved that. I 100% recommend anybody else. Like I've read all of her books, uh, Chillpreneur, Get Rich Lucky Butch. Um, There's another one as well. 
I can't remember right now, <laughs> but I've read all of her books and I follow her podcasts and she is amazing. She is like the queen of money talk. So I 100% recommend anyone who struggles with the money mindset to go and follow her. But I remember reading this particular book in the airport and some of the things that she said made me stop and go, wow. And I spent that entire flight like writing down my money story, the first thing that I remembered about money, how that kind of translated for me. And that was a game changer for me and I am grateful Every single day, every time I get paid, I'm grateful for the fact that I have had Denise's influence in my life. So go and follow and read more, uh, listen to her podcast, like go and see what happens with that. But she is incredible and she changed the way I looked at money. She changed the way I, she made me feel like it was okay for me to not care about money, but she also helped me understand that the reason I didn't really care about money was because I felt like money would make me a bad person. Um, you know, that only bad people had money and only selfish, greedy people had money. And, you know, the rest of us were supposed to suffer for everything that we had and stay underneath this glass ceiling and all of that without me consciously knowing it. So I've always been ambitious as well. It's not like I've not followed what I wanted to and like pushed hard and achieved things. I just did that with, you know, in a very broke mindset <laughs> or in a relatively broke mindset anyway. I can't say very broke because I still managed to support my family. I still managed to pay all my bills. I still managed to do all the stuff I needed to do. I just didn't have anything extra. But then I thought that maybe I didn't deserve to have anything extra because that would make me that person. So it was just, and it was all non-cognitive. And by non-cognitive, I mean, I didn't know I was thinking it at the time. I didn't know that that was a thought pattern until I'd done that deep dive. I didn't know that that's what was going on. And then having now kind of moved across, I, I spoke about it before in one of the earlier podcasts, but way, way back when I was just starting to work publicly, uh, having been a medium my whole life, I didn't start to work publicly until I'd moved to the UK and I'd figured out that it wasn't really a normal thing to be doing. And anyway, somebody said proper mediums don't charge for their work. And I just died inside and I was like, oh my God, I've been doing something wrong. Um, I better not charge anymore. And, you know, I, I was just completely torn apart by all the people who wanted me and who were I had queues and queues of people like literally I was booked up for three months in advance I had people phoning me at one o'clock three o'clock I had people turning up like it was horrendous it was absolutely horrible and I burnt out and I didn't want to be there anymore and that was because it was an unequal energetic exchange and people do not value what they don't pay for for the most there are obviously exceptions to every rule but for the most and it just broke me and I would I I'm so passionate to try and help other people avoid falling into that trap and, and not have to go through that experience because I could have taken my life in a very different direction at that point and I could have moved away from my my soul path, my doing my mediumship. And that my, I, if I'd done that, I wouldn't have been able to make the connections that I've made for all of the hundreds, if not thousands of people that I've worked for all over the world to bring them back to their loved ones to show them that there is more um, to provide that that evidential proof that we continue. And every single dollar I earn is because I've done something meaningful and incredible now, which makes it so much more, it means so much more energetically to me than the money I earned when I was working for somebody else. So there's this whole other thing that goes on with money in my life now. Um, I, I do believe that there is flow to money. And I think that when you stop holding on to it so tightly that flow is created. And I think when you back yourself and you're comfortable charging for your services, that creates flow. And it's one of the, when I run the Empowered Path program, it's one of the things that I spend a lot of time with, with the women that I'm dealing with, because they're all heart-centered, they're all holistic-based, they're all 
beautiful women who give, 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 and people who give so much are often uncomfortable with receiving. So this is something that we go right back on and like we do the handholding and we, we go and decode what money means and where it presented and how it felt and what it's continued to mean and what it continues re to represent and how it continues to feel. And then we change that. We rewrite their money stories and we empower them with their money stories. We, the transformation that happens within that module of that program is huge and it's one of the most profound things. I can understand why Denise has created a, an entire career about being a money mindset mentor uh, because it is so powerful and the self-worth thing and the being able to represent yourself and the, the being okay to charge for your services, the being okay to raise your prices when it's appropriate and you know we go into when it's appropriate and how that looks. I'm not going to go too long into the, that on here um, just because of time. But you know, we really go into that mindset and then you start to give yourself permission to work things in a different way and you start to reverse engineer things and be excited about money, not as a currency, but as an energetic exchange and what you can create with that. And like for an example, and this is an example I use on the course, if somebody painted your house and you, you decided you agreed to swap services um, and somebody was like, oh, cool, I'm a painter, so I'll paint your house. And, oh, no, you said to them, I'm a painter and I'll paint your house. And they were like, okay, cool, great, I'll, I'll, I'll trade you. And once you painted their house, they were thrilled with it. And then they traded you by giving you a pot plant because they're a, um, they own a nursery or something, like a plant nursery. You'd be a bit pissed, right? Because you would have spent hours and hours and hours and money and you would have painted their house and their house would look amazing. And they would give you this plant back in return, which although the plant on its own is beautiful, it's not equal, it's not right, it's not a fair energetic exchange. The the effort that you've put in to get their house painted versus the effort that they would have gone into to give you this plant, two different things. And that creates resentment and that creates burnout. And it's a pretty good analogy for people to think about in a practical sense. So I know that I'm a medium, but I've got a very strong logical mind. And obviously with a corporate background, I'm all about practicality. I'm all about good analogies. <laughs> and I'm all about the story, man. I love a story. So um, this is one of the things that we talk about and you, because this person would have then given you this plant that you would have been like, what, I've done all of that for this plant. It makes you pull away. It makes you not want to do it. So the next person that came along would probably have done something amazing for you that would have been equal in an energetic exchange, but you'll never give them the opportunity because you'll be stuffed if you're going to put yourself out there and put that effort out there and make, you know, do all of that stuff to risk being given another pot plant. So the people who do need you, who do appreciate you, will then never be able to reach you because you're no longer available to them. And that's the, the key thing with, with any kind of holistic or spiritual-based work. You need to be available to the people who are here to serve. And also, my mediumship is a lifelong journey. This is not something I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I'm going to be a medium. I was born that way. And I only realized it later on in life. But you always learn, you're constantly developing mediumship and that career path is no different than any other career path where you are always learning, you are always refining your skills, developing them, reaching the right people, um, up leveling in what you bring and how you bring it, how you deliver, how you work with spirit, all of those things. It's a constant, you're learning every single day. Um, and that's the same as any other career path. You'll probably find that you may have got qualified in something at some point, but the majority of your experience comes from the journey and you need to be okay to charge for that. Like this is not an unethical thing. I think money in a holistic space is always like a, a sticking point because of outdated and damaging beliefs like the lady who nearly burned me out permanently, 
who said that proper mediums don't charge for their work. You are allowed to make money from a holistic space. You are allowed to make money from a spiritual gift. You're allowed to charge appropriately for what you do. Because if you don't, you cannot be here serving the people that you need to serve. And then everybody misses out. So there's this whole concept around money and about charging and about it being right or not right. And I will take the unpopular opinion. If it is unpopular, I will put my head out there and I will say, I do not care. If you have this ability and if you are doing what you're meant to be doing, if you're a recreator, so we all work differently. My job is to reconnect you with your loved ones who have crossed over. I'm all about the the connection and the evidential proof of bringing you two back together again. Um, if you are doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, fulfilling a soul contract and creating meaningful, ethical, healing and love-filled work, when you make such a huge impact, you are allowed to charge appropriately for the work that you're doing. And especially like there are obviously, and again, this isn't the same as in corporate, when you get to the point where you are booked out in advance and people are commenting on how cheap you are or all of those things are little nudges for you to put your price up. Like there's, there's a whole list of them and we go into them on the Empowered Path program, but there are always little signs which tell you it's time to grow, it's time to grow, it's time to grow. And it's about you giving yourself permission to grow and understanding that that doesn't make you greedy and that doesn't make you selfish and that doesn't mean that you're pricing yourself out. Um, I think Denise said something similar and I've read it somewhere else as well. But the most abundant version of you is the one that is the most powerful and the most helpful to the people around you. And I think I definitely read it in um, Chilpreneur, one of Denise Duffield Thomas's books. And it's the one thing that has really stuck with me because it is so true. It is so true. When you don't have an awful lot and you're giving everything that you have, you are suffering for, you're suffering for it. And you don't resent the fact that you're suffering for it. But I know when I was working two jobs and literally sending so much money home and trying to support my family and trying to maintain the house and pay the costs and because they they weren't able to. At one point, my mom, as a teacher in a really well-known school, was earning the equivalent of two pounds, two British pounds a month. Think about that for a second. Two pounds, what we were paying coffee over there. She was earning that for a month. And it was crazy. So, you know, I would obviously send money home and what mom was earning was not equivalent to what costs were or what the bills were or when something went wrong with the house or when a pump failed or a generator blew, whatever it was, what she was earning was in no way equivalent and equal to being able to maintain those. So I was always working two jobs and sending things home and I didn't resent it and I don't resent it. I'm actually honored to have been able to do that for my family and to give back in such a profound way. But there was not much left over for me. And so I was suffering or I was in a state of um, martyrdom, not that I was actively pursuing martyrship or martyrdom, (laughs) but that's essentially what it was doing. I was going without so that they could have. And that is a cycle that I have cognitively stopped. I will not perpetuate that cycle any longer. I will not be part of that cycle any longer. And it's not that I won't give anyone anything if I don't have it myself. I create a space of abundance where I can be giving to the people who are in my life. I will create ways for them to make a living or to um, represent themselves in a better way. I'll help them in any which way I can, but I'm I'm not helping them from a place of suffering because I have enough. I have enough to make sure that I am all good, that I am not going without, that my family is not going without, and that I have excess that I create to then help the other people around me to pull them up, to push them up, to help them get through whatever they need to. I've got enough money to gift people and to not to give them money, but if I want to send somebody flowers, I can send them flowers and not worry about the fact that it's, you know, $200 or $180. Like it's not a biggie. And that doesn't have to be a special occasion that can be like, Hey, my friend, I'm thinking about you. Have some, have some flowers. 
things like that I would never have been able to do before because I just didn't have it. I didn't have it available. Um, and if I did, then I was growing without without something. I mean, I remember the one month in the UK, I moved into my own uh, little studio flat because I'd had a fallout with my friends at the time. And I definitely wasn't ready to have made that move, but I didn't really have any alternative options. So I did it anyway. And the one month I had 12 pounds. So like the equivalent of maybe $20, um, 20 Australian dollars over for grocery shopping. <laughs> so I was walking the three miles to work and back uh, every day. And, you know, UK weather, it was raining, whatever. I was walking there and back. So I would save the bus fare. I was um, really not eating during the day. I would have food at night when I got back to the flat. And I spent 12 pounds because that's all I had for that month in the grocery shopping. And um, I bought like supermarket value pork sausages. It was like a big bag of a hundred of them and a pocket of potatoes. And that was my, you know, 12 pounds and toilet paper and stuff. So I did that and that's how I survived for that month. And I laughed about it at the time and I laugh about it now because like, what the hell? <laughs> but that's what life looks like when you don't have anyone to, to, I had no one, I had no one to rely on. I had to have my own back. And that's what life can sometimes look like when you have your own back. And it's okay. Do you know what? It's actually awesome because it becomes part of your story. So now looking back from this place of being comfortable and of, of accepting abundance and accepting flow, and I created a six-figure business out of my mediumship within the first year of going full-time, and that's working 20 hours a week. You know, I was, I, before I was busting my ass, I was doing 60, 70 hours a week. I was available 24 hours a day. I had nothing to give to anyone. I just didn't, I was so low. I had no capacity. You really can't pour from an empty cup. But I've gone from that to earning more than I ever did in corporate, working a fraction of the hours, having all of this abundance, all of this freedom and making and every single dollar that I make is from doing something beautiful and meaningful and powerful and just so precious to me. It's it's just an incredible way to live. But I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't sorted out my money story. So that's why the second pillar, um, we're talking about the pillars within the podcast and that's why the second pillar of money mindset is so incredibly powerful because if you stand in your own way, you will limit yourself and you will not give yourself permission to see past the barriers or the expectations that are put on you within a financial front. And that means that that can't overflow into the rest of your life. You can't heal from those belief patterns in all the other areas of your life, especially around self-worth and around deserving, being deserving. Um, and also the, the concepts of having to suffer for your money and things like that. Like when you get it right in this one area it overflows into the rest of your life in the most beautiful way and is some of the most trans uh, like transformative periods the most profound transformations that i've seen in the women that i've worked with have come in with them rewriting their money story and that's why that's so incredible so i would love if if this has kind of resonated with you if it's poked something in you and you're like oof you know some of the ways we know we struggle with money is if we'll spend money on other people but not on us and when was the last time we bought something decent for ourselves? Like we're talking underwear, like things that not necessarily, you're not buying it for anyone else, you're buying it for you. You know, clothes, underwear, maybe a beautiful journal, maybe a, a really nice perfume. When was the last time you spent money on yourself and you felt okay about it? You know, that doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a bar of chocolate. But if it's, if you're buying it for you and you get to the till and you, you ditch it because you, you don't, you can't justify spending that money on yourself. And I don't care if it's $5 or $500, whatever, whatever, um, financial bracket you're operating within. If you're feeling resistance about spending money on yourself or about spending money at all, you have issues with your money story. 
I 100% guarantee every single person I've dealt with have has had problems or continues to have problems with their money story. And even having done all the work that I've done on my whole money mindset, it's still something that I have to revisit. Every time I break through to a new financial bracket that I'm working within, I have to do all of that work all over again because you have to remind yourself, you have to get clearer again, and you have to reintegrate that belief system into your reality. Uh, when you know how to do it, it's not a big deal. When you don't know how to do it, it's like... It's like overwhelming, you know. <laughs> so um, have a think about your money story. Think about what money means to you and how that story has patterned your life and which areas it's overflowed into. And I would love to hear from you if you if you have any kind of aha moments around this, if you have any experiences that you want to share. I would really love to hear from you because, again, it's one of those things you you start over here, you start like all the way with your money story and you end up like it's almost a full is existential makeover. You kind of end up on the other side going, wow, what a journey. So if you've had an aha moment from this conversation, from this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on all of the socials. I work under Kylie Nicole Spirit Medium or um, obviously under the Empowered Path program as well. Love to have you on the journey and I look forward to chatting to you next week. I hope you have a, a beautiful day, guys. Like it's, it's gorgeous out there. So have a beautiful day. 